Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. There's not a lot of action in, in Padres land, Marvin. No. You know, for all the talk that we heard this offseason, the Otani talk, the Hosmer talk, there's really nothing going on. I thought for sure we'd have an um, emergency podcast by now based on our very liberal definition of literally just either a trade that swaps major league players or a three-year contract, but we have had neither. I am fairly surprised. And here we are having a pretty much a, a let's call this a miniature uh, abbreviated episode to discuss a trade that happened, which I think in a lot of fans' hearts is a big trade, but in the grand scheme of baseball, it's it's a minuscule trade. But uh, what were your thoughts on the on the Solarte trade? You know, it's I'm torn. I I actually thought we would get more back for Solarte, and I know that I've been on the one on the podcast forever saying that I don't think that he's a great player. That I was. Disappointed in getting him back for Headley, even long term, having now seen which, exactly which what were, Solarte's career is. Which you were totally is. wrong, totally wrong about. Uh, we, we I, I don't. I actually, I don't know if I was because Headley's had some pretty decent production. I we mean, only traded one. Uh, he, he was at the end of his contract, Marvin. You can't count. You can't count his free agent years. Yeah, they, they that's traded true. Solarte for for like two months of Headley. Yeah, but uh, they could have just given Headley a qualifying offer and then. They would have gotten a first-round pick. And I don't know if the guy they got back for Solarte is worth more than that. That's kind of what I'm sort of getting at here. Um, so let's let's discuss the trade. So they traded Edward Oliver, or they acquired Edward Oliver as a 22-year-old A-ball prospect from the Toronto Blue Jays. Actually fairly well thought of, even though he's not in their top 10. Fairly toolsy. Had a uh, pretty good year, breakout year last year in high A. But he's Rule 5 eligible at the end of next year. Um, so... Going back to the criticism, you know, or the uh, the pro to the Enel De Los Santos move for Freddie Galvis was that De Los Santos was going to require a 40-man roster spot at the end of next year. And I said, you know, there's a chance he's not going to be worth it. And so getting something for him now is okay. It, should be, noted, then, it should be noted that yeah. it's a lot easier to park a, a relief pitcher on your 40-man roster and potentially even use them in an emergency in the major leagues than it is a high A raw outfielder. A hundred percent. Totally agree. I mean, De Los Santos had pretty decent production in double A. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a great pitcher, but it's at least one that you can put on your 40-man roster and not feel like he's going to be a net negative for you. Oliveras has not played above A ball. So he's going to have to perform probably at Elsinore next year and then maybe even a little bit towards the end of the year in double A for him to even merit getting a 40-man roster spot, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, he's a, he. I mean, he is an actual lottery ticket because there's a there's a ticking kind of a ticking time bomb on him, um, and he's not the only one. I mean, he's kind of in the same. I mean, Geddes is ahead of him level wise, but Geddes is another guy who's who's toolsy and shows flashes. But the team will have to commit to putting him onto a forty man roster after this season. Um, I'd have to dig in to see. We probably should compile that like a name of people that become Rule Five eligible next year because. You know, at some point when you have a trillion prospects, you know, there's a we've talked about like the funnel that happens, and, and one of the uh, structural funnels is that you need to start protecting them on the 40 man roster. Yeah, and the frustrating part right now too with the Padres is that a lot of the guys who are closer to the major leagues actually have more time before they're Rule Five eligible. If you look at Quantrill, Lauer, Lucchese, 
um, even Tatis being so young and close to the majors somewhat. Uh, you you would wish that the guys who are in AAA and AA are the ones that would be Rule 5 eligible the next year. But for us, it seems like it's the opposite. We, we just acquired some guys that are low minors that are Rule 5 eligible next year. We had a lot of guys at Lake Elsinore last year that are going to be Rule 5 eligible next year, whereas all the guys that are close have a lot of control left. It's it's kind of interesting. Right. I mean, as a disclaimer, we should also say there's a lot of dead weight on the 40-man roster. Like, there's a lot of things that could churn without really feeling it. Uh, I mean, you've talked about it. Like, Matt Caesar, Rocky Gale. Like, these are all guys that are sitting on the 40-man that are expendable pretty much at any time. So, um, aside from, from you know, the, the time bomb on his eligibility for the Rule 5 draft, um, one thing that... I guess popped out at me, which you touched on, is a little surprised at the value of Solarte, but especially when I compare it to the value that one year of Freddie Galvis um, was able to get out of the Padres, which in an extremely strong farm system, they pulled our 15th prospect. Um, Galvis, you know, pretty much performs about as well as, as Solarte as far as value added to the team. Um, so it was a little surprising to me that one year of Galvis, who's not particularly cheap at like seven and a half million dollars, was worth more than three years of relatively affordable Solarte. Yeah, and the best part about the Solarte contract was that they were both team options going right. forward. Yeah, so which he, totally mitigates a lot of the risk. Yeah, there's like no risk. It's like you have him on a string of one year contracts, and that's about as good as it can get for a team. So I was. And, and I'll add I, this for, for a team that is that at least publicly is saying they're willing to spend a hundred, not, well, not quite $140 million, less than $140 million on a team leader. Um, I mean, it's hard for us to quantify, but there's no doubting that Solarte was a team leader. A Hispanic yeah, one. that's that, true. You know, like Spanish speaking, um, which, which Eric Hosmer is not necessarily. No. And the thing with Solarte is he's not even a bad player, right? Like, I mean, he, he developed into a pretty decent player, one that I can see on a team that could go to the World Series. He wouldn't be a star player on that team, but he could be hitting seventh or something and playing several infield positions. So it wasn't like I felt there was an immediacy for you to you know, trade him. He, he might even be the type of player that you wish you're going to have on your 2019 or 2020 roster. Right. I which, mean, he, play, he played league average shortstop defense last year. Yeah, it's a, I, don't, I don't know how much Small I would sample. bank Small on that sample, going forward. But, but at the but very I, least, he's I a passable third baseman I, and second baseman. Well, I keep thinking about that when people are like, uh, you know, I, the Union Tribune wrote it. Um, Jeff Sanders wrote it, which, you know, has wildly varying quality of product. But um, Sanders, I think, wrote that Luis Perdomo would, would gain the most from having, a, um, you know, a new shortstop coming in. And really, when you look at the, the performance of like a Solarte, I mean, Perdomo had league average shortstop backing for about half the season with Solarte playing there, so... Well, the other point of that, too, as Dan Zimborski pointed out on our last podcast, is that, like, if you do the math, the difference for Podoma over a year might be one run. So right. it's like, I mean, that's not, it's not going to magically shave a run off his ERA. It's going to be, like, a run over the course of a year. Right. That that take is catnip for morons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. So as far as the return, I mean, with ignoring, you know, comparisons to what, what was traded for a guy like Freddie Galvis... Um, Oliveris does seem like, you know, he fills a need, at least, if he can actually pan out. I mean, the, the Padres are very dry on uh, quality position players, especially in the outfield. So 
he seems like a good risk to take, even if you only have a year to really evaluate what he can do. Yeah, and for me, it's I, I can see some people arguing Galvis and Solarte is so, sort of a wash. Maybe you don't want Solarte going forward, depending on how quickly they're going to really compete. But it really comes down to whether or not you want Eniel De Los Santos or Edward Oliveras. I mean, that's kind of the trade-off that I think you can make here is. And I would prefer the the lower minors guy that is a bat, simply because I find bats much harder to produce than arms, in my experience as a Padres fan. so Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, yeah. who are our outfield prospects at this point? I mean, Geddes, if he's a prospect. I mean, I guess he's a prospect still. Um, They're all low minors, pretty oh, yeah. much. Right? I mean, if you're a real believer in Franchi Cordero, which I'm not necessarily a huge believer in, I mean, I guess you've got him, but th- there's not a lot there. No, there's not. And and honestly, uh, Franchi, looking at his stats again, uh, he reminds me a lot of Ruben Rivera, which is not a very nice name to be reminded of. Well, Ruben like, no, Rivera was a five-tool, five-tool player <laughs> in the making. I remember hearing Ted Leitner gloat about how great he was going to be. I mean, that's the thing, though. They both suffer from approach at the plate, and they have a, don- a ton of tools. I mean, it somewhat makes sense to me as a comparison. I saw that uh, at another did, did Ruben today. Rivera ever strike out 40% at the major league level? I think he did, like, yes. Um, he was, like, absolutely terrible. Let me get the stats up. Let's hope that, let, I mean, we can at least hope that uh, that Franchi Cordero respects other people's personal property a little better than Ruben Rivera. In uh, Rivera's first year as our starting outfielder, he struck out 143 times in less than 500 plate appearances. Hit 195. What's that percent? I don't know. Uh, one sec. It's like 30%, 30, 32%, something like that. It this is. is this is good radio, Marber. <laughs> it's great radio. 30%, yes. 30%, okay. So not quite up to 40%, which is where Franchi was, though. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's got a lot of tools. I think you and me both agree on that, but I think it's a little early to be cashing the Franchi checks at the bank. Yeah. I mean, I could argue they still have a, a handful of AAA quadruple a outfielders that they, they could evaluate like renfro oh, obviously nick torres jankowski or, no 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 not even the guys that are like borderline not performing there i'm just talking about on our roster itself i mean you still have years of control of jankowski renfro and franchi i mean you would hope right. that one of them can develop into something and, and as much as my doubts are on franchi i mean that's what 2018 looks like it should be for is is starting to cross some names off yeah. the list after you evaluate them at the major league level um so, yeah, you know, guys like Dickerson, guys that keep lingering that we, we just don't we, – we, we're pretty close to being able to say we can cut bait on them or, or you know, consider them a piece in the future. I think, yeah, Alex Dickerson is the new Rob, uh, Robbie Erlin, is the guy that you always pencil into the team. Like, oh, yeah, we still have him, but he never, ever contributes. Right. That's how I feel about him. Although last year he did – or was it two years ago he had he a couple OPS'd hundred plate appearances? Yeah, and he had like he actually played like eighty games, which I think was a career high for him. Right, and, and very unfairly on my part, but uh, Ron Fowler always raves about Alex Dickerson, so that that naturally makes me view him negatively, which which is probably not unfair to, <laughs> which is probably unfair to Alex Dickerson. Also, he's from Poway, so of course I also think less of him as well. So they actually made two other moves. I don't know if you want to move on to those relief pitcher signings. Uh, uh, yeah, we can talk about those briefly. Okay. Uh, Craig Stammen, two-year contract. 
It and is what another... Ron Fowler promised us back in September. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they signed a Japanese submarine pitcher, uh, 33-year-old, two-year contract. Uh, reminds a lot of people of Chad Bradford. Um, thoughts? I mean, they're nothing to lose type moves, right? I mean, if anything, acquiring relief pitching and hoping that it uh, succeeds really well and then trading it away is, is arguably the best way to, to build value through trades, right? Um, they're always in demand at the trade deadline. Uh, people tend to overpay for them. And so it's not that much money to spend. Now, as far as Stammen goes, he defied a lot of numbers last year. Um, we've talked about on the show, like he, he was incredible with the bases loaded, um, which seems more fluke than skill um, to do it as well as he did. He's also like 34. So, I mean, he kind of seems like a guy that isn't going to be as good as we might remember he was in the second half last year. Um, but but again, he's not being paid that much, and there's not really anything to lose. And as far as Makita goes, same deal. He's he's not being paid that much. Like he does throw, you know, really low from from the submarine angle. So maybe he works out. I I, I don't know. But those are the kinds of moves I like to see, like low cost gambles that have potential payoff in the future. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought they were fine, and and actually, I can see some scenarios where either one of them becomes useful. Uh, Makita, I. I honestly think he's just going to get destroyed at the major league level. I, I kind of think so also. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what about Chad Bradford? But, I mean, there's kind of a reason. If submarining 82-mile-per-hour fastballs was highly effective, there'd be more people trying to do it. Yeah, and also Chad Bradford had, like, years of evidence of being pretty good. Um, and his numbers at the major league level were, like, better than this guy's in Japan. So right. there's, I, it's not a fair comparison. But yeah, I, I, in general, I agree. I think they're low risk. Stammen, I, I actually thought had a pretty good year. I know the numbers um, aren't necessarily favorable to him in WAR, but just because he gave up a ton of home runs. Right. But his and velocity. He had, really, he had a really rough April May. Yeah, but his velocity was really good compared to where he was prior to his injury the, the season before. So, I, I don't think the injuries causing him any problems anymore. And his strikeout rate and walk rate were right in line. I think it was just a fluky couple of home runs that really did him in last year and that that'll come back to earth so that might offset the the other you might not see his era change but it might stay where it is while his war goes up right it's kind of what he's, I'm getting he's at. also the thing with him both of them really is they're not blocking anyone like we don't have any hot relief prospects like we have guys like like trey wingenter you know that i'd like to see up in the major league level but it's not like we have top prospects down there that that are, that are being blocked so you got to fill the bullpen there's always churn in the bullpen so, you know, uh, I'd rather see that move than signing Chris Young to get however much they offered to pay him, like up to $7 million this year if he starts a bunch of games. So um, who actually is blocking important players for the future. Yeah. Which I don't think we've talked about. <laughs> what are your feelings on the return of Ross and Young? Oh, man. Um it's fine, right? You can bring them to spring training and see what they have. I, I don't like when they give them guaranteed money. That's, right, because that makes me think that they they will wind up in the rotation. Like like you look yeah. at Jordan Lyles, um, who, who totally sucked last year, including for the Padres, including under the tutelage of Darren Balsley. Totally sucked. Um, they guaranteed money to him, which basically tells you that you can pencil him into the rotation this year. So, yeah, the guaranteed money does alarm me, um, but... I guess what's done is done. 
they're not going to sell tickets. I know that. Like, no, no one's going to go to a Chris Young start because Chris Young is starting. They're nice guys. Who, who do you think people are more likely to go see, Tyson Ross or Chris Young? Uh, you know, I like Chris Young. I'm a Chris Young man. Yeah, I think he actually. I think Chris some Young has up. a much I mean, he, higher chance of being somewhat useful. And I also think of him fairly positively with his tenure here. Like right, we went to the totally. playoffs. He actually he actually started the only playoff game we've won, right? Yeah. In like a long, long time. So, yeah, I, I think I would. He went to the not that either went to the All Star game too. Yeah. Not that in. if not that uh, either one of these would draw me to the ballpark personally, but if I had to choose between the two, I'd probably say Chris Young also. Right, and you know Tyson Ross lost a lot of velocity last year. Like I just don't have a guy with wonky mechanics already. You know, he always was on the edge of being wild. You know, uncontrollably wild. I just don't have a lot of faith in Tyson Ross being useful, but I could see Chris Young. It's not like he ever threw hard. Like he didn't really rely on velocity. He relied on being super tall and the angle and the you know a release point closer to the home plate. So, you know. Yeah, but honestly, I could actually see Tyson Ross as a decent reliever. I would, that probably would help out his arm too. Honestly, like if velocity yeah, become his problem, you even, can get a little bit more by pitching out of the pen. He, and he's got he a killer slider. Time? What was he hitting? Was he hitting ninety even? Like on average? Yeah, but I think you can make it pass as a relief pitcher. Uh, maybe. I mean, at, at what point do you want to see Tyson Ross in, in an experiment over calling up Trey Wingenter, I guess? I, I guess for me, I think that if you started the year with Ross as a reliever and you had a pretty decent year, I could see teams trading for him at the deadline. I could see teams believing in, all right, it's a pitcher that used to be good being good now. With some of the signings they've done in the past, like Jared Weaver last year or yeah. Chasin, it was like, there's no way this guy's ever going to get trade um, deadline value. So I'm okay with it from that respect. Um, right. He did I would pop rather his play velocity. Wingenta, he actually though, popped honestly. his average velocity of his fastball up to 93, which is not bad. He, he started out very poorly, very slow. And uh, it looks like his average slider velocity, though, he's lost about five miles an hour on it, which is bad yes, I, since he throws like 50% sliders. Yeah, so back from Ross's prime with the Padres, he was throwing about 94.2. Last year, 91.6. So, yeah, yeah. a couple miles an hour off. But I, I could see that you get a couple of those back when you move to relief pitchers. So now, I think, now, how about this? Would you rather him take a rotation slot from a project, a young project like, like Brian Mitchell? No. Right. No, definitely not. I mean, over any young player, like, would you want Ross taking a rotation slot from them? No, the, the thing is, I don't really. I'd rather. Ryan I, I don't think he's going to work as a starting pitcher. I just that's. I, I think he's had too many injury problems, and he's not going to work as a starting pitcher. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't go that route. I mean, he was injured when we got him from the Athletics. Um, he not, never even threw two hundred innings for us. I know he did have one full season, but he never seemed to pitch deep into games. So like the upside of him as a starting pitcher is fairly low, in my opinion. Right. Well, uh, let's see. Are there any other little nuggets? I think we're going to cover the Sickles uh, minor league top twenty uh, in a future episode. Um, but there was some, you know, there was some surprising things. So listeners should go check it out at minorleagueball.com. Um, obviously, nothing's happening with Hosmer at this point. I don't expect anything to happen. Yeah, me neither. Um, it, it seems like there is media reporting unity that the Padres were unwilling to cross the hundred and forty million dollar mark. So um, I think we could probably stop talking about Eric Hosmer for now, right? 
I think so. Let's have um, a let's have unless he signs. Maybe let's have a intelligent podcast embargo on on Eric Hosmer talk. Well, come on, Marver. I don't know. You know, it's I, it's a fascinating subject to me. You don't it actually really is. enjoy talking about Eric Hosmer at this point. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it, now it is, but I think the talk was. I think the talk was good. I wasn't. Was, I didn't ever got sick good. of talking yeah. about him as a free agent, but now weeks. I'm like, yeah, now I'm like, this has gone on too long. Right. How about an embargo until he signs with someone? Yeah, that's fine. Then we can do a wrap up on how cheap the Padres were. <laughs> I think that's good. Yeah. So, anyways, Marver, I'll be representing Intelligence tomorrow at the Kept Faith Big Sports Trivia Contest. So I'll try to do you proud, okay? Do you even need me there? No, you don't live here. That's that's what I'm talking about. I don't think you'd bring much to the field of uh, 2003 era Padres trivia. Like I, I do I, though. I I think I, I think I would. Or early 90s San Diego soccer's knowledge. That I would not know anything about. I mean, at this point, I I'm ready to bring my knowledge of early 90s goals knowledge. Talk some Keith Gretzky. I I, I don't know if I would say that out loud. I'll bring some glory home. Don't you worry. <laughs> I wonder, um, do you think there'll be any questions about the Chargers? Yeah, of course there will. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there, there will be Chargers. I'm sure there'll be Chargers talk. I mean, they're, they're crossed off on their website. I would be kind of disappointed if they did. That's a good point. I'm going to bring this up to Dallas. Yeah, you should. Because that, that way... Because at that point, it's, it's Los Angeles trivia, not see, San Diego that is, trivia. Right, but that is the one category I would have really helped out on. So if you can get them to not even use it, then yeah, it's like I... Like what use would I have been? I'd cru- I, I would crush you on mid two thousands Chargers trivia. I highly doubt it. I had season tickets first row of the end zone and went to every single game. Yeah, you can't see anything from the end zone. That's not a brag. You can see tons of stuff from the end zone. I don't know what you're talking about. I had Darren Sproles win a, run a game winning touchdown right in my corner of the end zone. It was awesome. You don't even know who Bob Gagliano is. Nobody knows more about Craig Wheelahan than me. Craig Wheelahan. Cardiff resident. See, that's Craig that's Wheelahan. late 90s. That's like 2000, 2001. It is. Yes, it crosses. Yeah. That's uh, Bob Gagliano was pre-Stan Humphreys. I actually once ran into Craig Wheelahan at the Del Mar Fair and uh, got his autograph. He's a nice funny. guy. I, I run into him. He in was. Cardiff. He was very nice. Yeah. He very recognizable, like, too, by the way. He coaches like youth football. Yeah, he still looks the same. I actually have yeah. a... I have a card. You haven't been over to Jagoff Manor, but I have like a baseball card display of autographed cards, and Craig Wheelahan does have a spot on there. He's sitting right next to like Charlie Joyner's autograph and like Trevor Hoffman's autograph. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I have a, I have a uh, pair of tables in my house that I've laminated with baseball cards and like done the epoxy on, and so it's like a normal surface, but you got baseball cards underneath. Yeah. But I also got a football one. It's like a small end table, <laughs> and in the middle of like. Montana and like Steve Young and Marino, like all the names. I have Natron Means, and nice. it's just like so out of place. What college did Natron Means go to? I don't even remember. You don't know anything. I don't. Yeah, see that UNC. I'm not giving you time to look it up on Wiki. I'm not looking it up. I said I don't know. What school does Stan Humphreys go to? So don't know that either. Northeast so those Louisiana, are Louisiana, which doesn't exist anymore. That's that's amazing. We actually, uh, when Facebook started, we started a um, Facebook group that was called Stan Humphreys is the greatest quarterback of all time. And our entire justification was that he's the only quarterback to ever lead the Chargers to the Super Bowl. 
and we ended up getting several hundred followers. It was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I'd like to join that. He's also in my yeah. uh, he's in my case up here. I think we've devolved a little too much into the uh, Los Angeles sports market. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Well, anyway, okay. Well, hopefully, a brief update on the on the Padres. I, I think we're both generally positive on what happened. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it it's kind of a... It doesn't set back the future. And as you know, my plan is, of course, the uh, minimize future damage of inevitable, inevitable Ron Fowler meddling. And I think this is falling nicely within that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I d- yeah, I guess we, we've embargoed Hosmer Talk, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, Perhaps by next week we'll have a little more action on that front, and we can we can unembargo it. But uh, I think for now, um, let's tease the uh, discussion of the Sickles ranking, which which I thought was I thought was actually very interesting. I did too. Yeah, we'll, we'll t- definitely talk that about talk about that soon. Uh, real quick though, Jagov, what are the odds that we actually have to have an emergency podcast this off season? I thought it was high. I but now it was I'm high, but I'm thinking it's thirty uh, percent. 20, 27% right now. 27%. Okay. So if they gave like um, – Because I'm, I'm building a, in the odds a, of a knee-jerk uh, save face signing after they lose out on Hosmer when he's – Oh, my God. $180 million with Kansas City. Dude, could you imagine if they gave Carlos Gonzalez like a three-year deal? I think I would die. Your head would explode. <laughs> I think – please don't torture me with such thoughts of something like that happening. Right. Twenty-seven percent. What are you putting it at? That's that's about right. I was going to say twenty-five percent. Um, I'm always the optimist, though, so that would yeah. explain our, the delta. But uh, I don't anticipate anything major. I mean, yeah, maybe I they'll either. trade Brad Hand. Maybe. I think that that would warrant an emergency podcast if that happens. I think so too, but I think there's a small chance of that in addition to them making some sort of signing. Right. So. Well, I, I think we can wrap this one up then. A sub thirty yeah. minute episode. This is a good little update. Yeah, twenty six minutes. Yeah, let's we did uh, it. Let's meet up. Only again nine next minutes week. longer than we planned, or eleven right. minutes longer than yeah. we planned. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, go Padres. Go Padres.